Welcome to the Smart Tech Check Podcast, hosted by Mark Vina, your home for candid, insightful, and provocative conversations about the smart home, home automation, security, smartphones, PC and console gaming, and much more. Hello, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, host of the Smart Tech Check Podcast. Today is Thursday, June 16th, 2022. Joining me for today's podcast is Stuart Walpin, who scribes for Popular Mechanics, U.S. News, Techlicious, Investopedia, and other publications. Uh, John Quain, who writes for New York Times, Smart Cities, and Tom's Guide. And Rob Pegorero, who writes frequently on tech policy for Wirecutter, PC Magazine, USA Today, could not be with us today. But, hey, we don't need those guys, Stuart. Um, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> and uh, no, I really sure. watch this. <laughs> They'll probably protest that uh, I said that about them, but uh, they're doing other things right now, and uh, they'll be back on um, podcast next week. Uh, before we get into some of our um, uh, great topics that I've teed up today, you know, you know, what I'm going to tell you, Yankees are 30 games over 500. You know, um, who knows if they've, uh, you know, they can keep the momentum going. But uh, as a, you know, a, as a fellow committed Mets fan, which I know you are, the Mets have having a pretty good season this year. What, what's your assessment of the Yankees? Real quick, just for a minute. i got to ask that question. you think they're for real? <laughs> well, it, it, everything wrestled in starting pitching, and Garrett Cole has been uneven, shall we say. Uh, Luis Severino has been a surprise, and I think that um, uh, I don't think they expected him to be this good this soon again. Uh, Jordan Montgomery and, and Talion, whose first name escapes me at the moment, have both been pitching over their – their usual or their career marks. Hey, I have Montgomery and Lerodo team. Don't forget So, um, so if they're starting Nestor. pitching holes up, if they get Chapman back um, at some point and, and he's at least somewhat effective, their bullpen is certainly held up without Chapman. I would suspect that they're probably going to try to add some bullpen help at the, uh, at the trade deadline, because I don't know what the, what Chapman's condition is. But they certainly have a loaded lineup. They're batting Judge Lead off for crying out loud. I know. I mean, he's having an And the guy's having an MVP season. I mean, right. I, mean, and I, I just I, I just don't understand. I understand batting him second. At least got somebody on base in front of him. Batting him leadoff, I understand getting him more at bats. I it just like I don't know. It upends all tradition and it probably makes statistical sense. I'm sure Aaron Boone isn't doing it. You know, just to throw it out there, really, really, yeah. they have a huge deep lineup. Putting him at the top of the order really deepens that lineup quite a bit. Um, and when they get I, uh, Donaldson is back from his suspension, his disgusting suspension, um, yes. it, it just gives them an enormously deep lineup. And so, it um, probably the deepest in the league right now. I think Gleber Torres is somewhat of a surprise. Uh, from his offense for them, I don't think, and certainly, um, I'm going to screw up his name. Finer Kalila, the shortstop. He, he, and good. Matt Chapman have contributed way over expectations. So right. again, I think there's some things that are sort of a mirage at the moment. Whether or not Chapman and 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 Connor Falala will come back to earth or not. Um, again, I think they need to add bullpen, but I think they have a deep enough lineup that certainly will be able to bash their way to uh, to the Eastern crown, at least. Well, with all those glowing com comments, I'm sure you're going to be returning your season tickets for the Mets. And I, I do know somebody in the New York uh, Yankee ticket office that can probably get you really good seats. I had Yankee season tickets at one point. 
Oh, did you? I didn't know that. I couldn't afford both. I had great seats at Yankee Stadium. In the upper deck, right in the first row, right behind home plate. And they were oh. just absolutely fabulous seats. And, and I, uh, the guys I was keeping them with, and I couldn't afford both those and my Met tickets, so I had to choose one or the other. And you chose those bums from Flushing. Okay, I, I, I get it. Well, let, let's hit our let's hit our, our first topic here, and that is um, I want to dr- drill down a little bit. We talked a bit about it last week uh, during our WWDC recap, and that is talking about CarPlay and Apple's long term strategy. And I'm actually interested in your opinion, uh, Stuart, because unlike uh, our our friend John Quain, who's a big big subject matter expert on the car space. Specifically, you're not a car guy. You know, you don't have, you don't own a car. I haven't owned a car um, in 40 years, which is amazing. But the interesting to me thing about what Apple's doing here with their next iteration of CarPlay is, for those people who don't know, I mean, they're essentially um, going to deploy the iteration of the new, this new version of CarPlay into things beyond just entertainment and and uh, Apple Maps. So, in theory. Apple will be able to, uh, if they get access, of course, from the car manufacturer, they'll be able to access things like the air conditioning, climate controls, other systems within the car, you know, essentially you know, the speedometer, um, do it in a highly graphical, intuitive way that like only Apple can do. So you're, you're, you know, you'll, it'll probably, the eye candy will probably be incredible from a, a visuality standpoint. Um, but the question I raise is that as Apple, you know, expands its presence in the cabin of the car and takes over more um, screens and essentially becomes an Apple experience when you're in the car. It's not a BMW experience. It's not an Audi experience. They're owning the the experience. Do you think that car manufacturers are going to be really crazy about that simply because they know what Apple did, you know, in the MP3 music space where they pretty much dominated the space and the, the MP3 device space never really recovered? after Apple monetized music. So what, what's your thoughts about that? If you, ha- I'm, I know you do have some thoughts on it and it'd be interesting to get your perspective. Well, it's fascinating to me just from a pure technology evolution point of view that everything that Apple is doing now is essentially all pointed down the road to a totally um, autonomous vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're seeing all these fits and starts at both the telemetrics point of view, the wireless communication, uh, the 5G communication systems that will allow um, the cars to learn and from each other as they drive. And so there's that end of it. And then there's that's the hardware and the operational side. And that's something car makers essentially know how to do. And they can buy that um, that talent, essentially. Software is something that is totally alien to the car community. Yes. And so yes. they are going to need partners like Apple, partners like Google, who know software. They've forgotten more about software than the car makers ever knew. Mm-hmm. And the car for the car makers, I think that they are probably want to be in a position of aligning themselves with such well-known companies. Remember, it's Android and it's iOS in the phone space. And so every consumer that these car makers are selling to owns one of those two devices. Right. And as we have seen with Apple, their their Apple store or the the iTunes store is available on Android. So there isn't that much of a conflict. So for the car makers to lay off the software side on people who know what they're doing makes perfect sense. Plus, despite all that we're about to talk about after this with Apple and Google in terms of antitrust thing, 
people trust Apple. Right. Regardless of what the government may or may not do on the antitrust side, people trust Apple. Rightly or wrongly, it's a trust thing. And if the, and if American drivers see that Apple is going to help them drive better, that's, again, a plus for the automaker who may not have. I mean, who would trust software from, from General Motors? You know, so. Well, I and, 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 to, and to your point, they flashed up a statistic at WWDC, and it was an Apple study, but let's accept it for what it's worth, that 79 or I think it was 79 or 80 percent of people that were polled would not buy a new car unless it had Apple CarPlay support. Again, that makes perfect sense. They won won the branding. They won the branding game. Apple is the leading smartphone seller in the United States, unlike the rest of the world, where it's Android by a much wider margin. Apple is more than 50% of the market in the U.S. So, again, it makes perfect sense for U.S. automakers to partner with somebody to provide them something with that, that they can not, not only can't do themselves, have no expertise in, but no consumer trust in. So that makes perfect sense for them for them to do it. But again, I think this is what Apple is good at. One of the things that Apple is good at is looking, and you'll excuse the pun, looking way down the road. Right. That their roadmap, that all of this software that they are developing for all of these screens is all preparation for the fully autonomous vehicle. Because right now... I do drive. I rent cars on occasion. I use Zipcar, you know, to, to drive. And I can I learn to drive a manual transmission on a furniture truck. So I, I'm a I consider myself a, a very heady driver. But when I drive a car and my wife is sitting next to me, I don't want her talking to me because I don't want to be distracted. And so all of these screens and you and I both know you ask Siri a question and you got a 50-50 shot of her answering and all of a sudden you're yelling at your phone. You do not want to be doing that in a car. So they, Apple still has a huge amount of work to do if they're going to have a voice-operated car. It's going to be have to be a situation as in more widely accepted um, adoption of voice is that the the – the systems need to understand the humans instead of the humans needing to make themselves understood to the devices, which is the way it is now. If you don't use the right syntax, the right words, the machine doesn't understand you. And a fully autonomous vehicle cannot, from a safe, just from a pure safety point of view, operate that way where I have to think in my head, what do I have to say to my car in order to do something? It has to be completely organic where if I'm talking to the car, it has to be just like I'm talking to you. Turn on the air conditioning. I shouldn't have to, you know, go, uh, Siri, air conditioning, or whatever that yeah. syntax would have to be. So so I think what they're doing now is preparation. It's all part of the building block to get us to a point where all of that happens in a fully autonomous vehicle. So let me jump in there for a second because the the, the not the cynical part, you know, because Apple at the end, they has to make money. My view of this is that if Apple, because they already, have, I, in my view, they've won the hearts and minds of most people who are buying new cars. You know, let's face I mean, let's accept that study as, as fact. That's number one. If they succeed in this next iteration of CarPlay, where they essentially own every screen in the car. And if you go one step further in an, in an a, a autonomous vehicle uh, context where you don't have to, you know, you don't have to worry about, you know, steering the car. I mean, th- we could argue whether that's two years out, five years out or whenever that's going to happen. But if all of a sudden the driver becomes a passenger 
And all of a sudden now advertising on those screens becomes a very, very um, attractive opportunity from a monetization standpoint. And I really think that Apple knows that, that and not just on a car that they might sell, but if I if they own all the screens in a BMW or an Audi or some type of other non-Apple branded car, which, by the way, the car makers are not going to like because they want that revenue as well. All of a sudden now you're going to have a lot of I think right now you probably see a lot of tension between Apple and car makers because car, the car makers know that. And the, the screen experience in a car is very much part of the brand um, uh, persona for a, for a, for a, um, a car manufacturer. And I, and I guess my point is, I'm not sure Audi or Apple, I'm not Apple, but Lexus or, you know, pick your car brand wants to concede that brand experience to Apple. I don't know? think I don't think that's a major concern for one reason. Mm-hmm. Apple's not in the advertising business right now. They don't sell ads uh, for anything. I, but that doesn't mean they won't do it in the future. I understand that. But their 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 whole point in terms of privacy and security is we're not capturing your data. And the second they become a, a buyer or a seller of advertising, that changes. And I, I think from a pure privacy, a part of the Apple trust by the consumers is consumers know that Apple is not collecting their data. And the second Apple starts to do that by instituting an advertising program, that goes away. And I think Apple is very smart. And I don't think that they would do anything to jeopardize the trust that consumers have in their company. And if consumers think that Apple all of a sudden is now advertising and 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 collecting data from them, that trust erodes. And that's, I think, far more important than any residual dollars that they may make from advertising. Wow. So my, my own thought is that the car makers will probably retain that and maybe kick some stuff back to Apple without Apple having to actually be in the business of actually selling the space. I think right. they'll leave that to the car makers. No, but that, that, and that may be a, a way out, you know, but at the end of the day, Apple's going to have to accommodate as part, as part of their interface. And, you know, again, if you have a CarPlay 2.0 interface where Ford is doing ads, you know, and they're the ones, you know, you know, taking the heat, frankly, for the for the data sharing and the the, the, the privacy uses that you related. You know, I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I, I'm still up in the air that whether Apple at some point will not get more aggressive about advertising. To your point, they have they've avoided it doesn't make any sense to me, especially since the car makers, the ads directed at buyers of the car makers is going to be dependent to a certain extent on information they have on their consumers. So in other words, the ads that somebody might see in a Ford Taurus are going to be different than the ads that somebody's going to see in a Land Rover. And yeah, that's, that's, going to be that's exactly my point, though, because the, 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 the ad um, kickback to, to the car manufacturer or to Apple is much more lucrative. If you're watching an ad... I, I, I don't think it's about that. lucrative. I think it's about targeting. And the car makers are far better positioned to target their own consumers than Apple will be, especially since for Apple to be attuned to that means collecting user data. And they are not going to do that. That is their entire point of differentiate, not only differentiation, but keeps the government off their backs, at least as far as privacy and security is concerned. And I don't think Apple will do anything to threaten its its reputation in, in the public eye or in the eye of regulators. 
Well, let's. Uh, we got to go back to the next topic. It's good for for a guy who doesn't own a car. You you know a lot about this topic, <laughs> Stuart. Well, you have an opinion about everything. The only thing the only thing I will leave. You I have with an opinion you. about that. <laughs> the only thing I'll leave you about this is that it will be very interesting. As I was telling you before we did the podcast, uh, started the podcast, is that you know if you play this out with CarPlay, call it CarPlay 2.0 or this next iteration where Apple. Is controlling more, you know, or monitoring more subsystems in the car. Apple engineers um, are going to want more access to recommending. This is a going forward statement, you know, making recommendations to Ford to the other car companies, saying, you know what, we think you'd be, uh, we'd get a better experience if you put this type of sensor in the car, this type of brand. And I'm not sure car companies are going to like that. Saying, hey, well, are you going to well remember to tell me how to the car? entire reason that there is an iPhone to begin with? Was because of that exact situation. Yeah. That and, and, and Motorola and, and, came out with the rocker and that had yeah. an iTunes software on it. It was a disaster. And Steve Jobs said, I am never going to let anybody make hardware that uses our software. Right. So that I, Steve Jobs obviously is not there anymore, but the philosophy is probably going is still probably residual in the minds of many at Apple that to simply give their software to another hardware maker for the hardware maker to somehow screw it up is not in Apple's mindset. So, you know, talking about whether or not Apple will do a car or not, that leads me to believe that they are probably strongly, you know, uh, leaning towards doing that because that is their legacy. Well, do not yeah, leave the right, hardware to other people to create that that integ integrated hardware software experience that you can't do if you're not making the hardware yourself. I, I agree with you violently because that's the same philosophy they take with their, their notebooks, not just smartphones, but hey, we can only provide a great experience because we control everything. Everything. You know? And, you know, ultimately that may be the reason why you know, that, that an Apple car needs to exist. Um, but having said that, it's going to be interesting to see the way that part yep. of the discussion kind of plays out. Let's go to the next topic here. Uh, this kind of interesting type of thing is that um, uh, Apple cut a deal with uh, MSL, the, the, uh, the soccer uh, league. I'm not a big soccer guy, but I've been told by um, uh, people that the, that particular league is not exactly – Am I, am, I, am I characterizing it uh, incorrectly, Stuart? It's not like Major League Baseball or the National Football League. So it, it's an interesting deal, but it doesn't run um, from, a, from, a, um, from a prestige standpoint. It's the same thing as it would be if they, you know. But the they, they, it's they, not they, the know. Premier League. Yes. So, but to your I think you, you and I were talking about this before, is that maybe this is the precursor to the deal that they're rumored to be cutting with the NFL. You know, they have they do it. They have, you know, cut a deal with Major League Baseball on this Friday night baseball deal, which has been kind of interesting. But uh, we'd love to get your thoughts on where this may all be headed. Well, my interest in this is based on a singular experience that I do not know is widespread or not. Somebody else would have to tell me and I'd have to double blind test it. But here here's the story. Yeah, MLB, talking, the, 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 MLB, the MLB app allows um enables you to set notifications so you can get a notification if you're if you're in the score of a game changes that you know i follow the mets so every time during a met game if the Mets score or the team they're playing scores i get a note on my iphone i get a notification on my watch i was at the met game on tuesday night against the brewers and 
I got those, and I'm watching the game, and I'm keeping score so I know what's going on, but I didn't turn the notifications off. It's too much trouble. And so about 30 seconds after somebody drives in a run, I get a notification on my watch. When I'm home and I'm watching the Met game on SNY in New York, uh, the Mets uh, regional um, sports out- outlet, I get the notification about 10 seconds or so after I see it on television. Okay. Last Friday night, I'm watching the Mets playing the Angels on Apple TV. No score in the game, so I'm nothing is happening. And then all of a sudden, my watch buzzes. So-and-so has doubled in two runs for the Mets. And I'm looking at the screen, and nothing is happening. It's The, the batter is still at the plate. And sure enough, two pitches later, he hits a two-run double. And I went, wait a minute. I'm getting a notification of what's happening from a game that's streaming before I actually see it as it's streaming, that's not good. And I'm not a sports better. I hate the whole idea of sports betting. But can you imagine a world in which all sports have streamed and they somehow have not solved this latency issue where people are notified of an event happening before it happens on the screen? Well, and I'll, I'll, and I'll tell you something that's kind of funny. Is I that, That's been kind of my life story here, you know, being California and being a Yankees fan. I watch everything streaming and i like to play a parlor game where if i'm with people and i get that alert instantly before the uh the video feed uh so it's up. not just me no i i tell people hey by the way i'll i'll bet you fifty dollars that on the next pitch this player is going to hit a home run and and it'll happen and of course most people are not are, are not privy to that latency right. issue how the hell did you pick predict that you know <laughs> so so i to me it's an inconvenience i mean to me you know, outside of the betting implications, which is interesting. I didn't really think about that. To me, it ruins the experience because I don't want to know, you know, in advance, even a millisecond or a couple, of, you know, or, or a second before then something's going to happen. I mean, it does allows me to kind of stand up and take notice because baseball is a very casual game. And, you know, a lot of baseball drives a lot of people who are not into baseball crazy because it's, it has such a leisurely pace to it but you know it allows me oh by the way something is, is exciting is going to happen let me stop what i'm doing because like you i i always have the baseball game playing in the background you know it's that's the way i grew up you know even during the family dinners which used to drive my mother crazy that yankee game on wpix with phil rizzuto was was in the background my mother to mm-hmm. this day she's 88 years old she would say that man's voice drives me crazy and she would talk <laughs> about phil rizzuto but the point is, oh, is that yeah. as as a fan, it is a kind of uh, uh, a um, a distracting experience. But one step further, on the streaming apps. One of the nice things that you can do, I don't know if you do it, is that you know the Yankee video broadcast team is different from the radio broadcasting with John Sterling. Now oh, yeah, I know, I know what you're going to say. You listen to the Yankee broadcast while watching the stream on the radio. And I like Michael. And unfortunately, Kent. they don't match up. Right, but they they do sync it though. I mean, it does sync relatively closely. It's not perfect, but they do try to sync it, which is that you know, to me that really. Um, I just enjoy. Wait, wait, wait a minute. On the streaming, you can choose a different broadcast. That's what you're yeah, saying. Radio, oh, I'm what, sorry. I thought radio. you meant that you were listening to the radio. No, 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 no. You were watching. The no, game. what you can essentially do on on the MLB app is that you can go in and change the audio feed to a radio broadcast. Yeah, and you can do that on the app. Can you do it on the Apple TV streaming? I, I think you can as well. 
go into the video audio well, option. Look the, the, the next and, time and the reason why I say story. that now, a lot of people don't like John Sterling. You know, the man is 100 years old and he, he, he blows <laughs> a lot of calls that it's supposed to be home runs and they catch it on the warning track. But putting that aside, you know, that to me is part of baseball. I mean, it's the, the, the audio broadcast, you know, because baseball is very much a medium for audio because you can follow the game in your mind if you have the right uh, announcer. So, but I agree with you. That is an annoying problem that needs to be addressed. And it can I, had be addressed. To, I had to take, and I'll tell you the other thing, I had to take off my watch and <laughs> I had to put down my phone while the action was going on. And you know, as well as I do in your home and you're watching a ball game, it's great background while you're doing other things, as you just mentioned. Right. And so I'm always on my laptop or on my phone while I'm watching the game. I'm looking up stats, I'm doing work, I'm checking email. And I, you know, every pitch is every 30 seconds. I know when to look up for when there's a pitch about to happen. But now I couldn't do that because I would get an alert on my phone before the action on the screen took place. And I think this is a huge issue. And I have no idea whether or not the reason we haven't heard from Apple and the NFL is, I don't know if this might be one of those issues, that the streaming latency is interfering essentially with how anybody actually watches, you know, sports fans watch a game, especially in this now new era of all the sports betting, where you're watching a game on streaming and you know can know what the, what the, uh, the scoring is going to be before it happens. Right. Well, you know, we, we really should do a podcast specifically on the relationship between sports betting and technology, because I got to tell you, you know, there's, there, in the, on the November ballot, you know, California finally will probably get on. Will and they'll probably if the polls are are um, are accurate, the Californians are probably going to approve uh, sports betting. And I guarantee you, when the state of California gets behind it, it's going to be a really interesting environment because all of a sudden, all these issues about latency and other things are going to start to kick in. You know, and and by the way, not just sports betting on on professional sports. You're going to see um, a sports betting when it's legalized uh, completely out here in California on online gaming. So if I'm playing um, Madden 2023 or MLB, uh, MLB the show, which is the most popular baseball game on, on Xbox and and uh, PlayStation, you're going to you, know, you can do it right now, but you have to establish an account in the Virgin Islands and, you know, they, they put credit, you got to put the same a, thing with poker, same thing with online yeah. poker. We're going to do, do a whole podcast on this. That means that I'm actually have to use these betting apps and I don't <laughs> want to. <laughs> well, I'm going to do it anyway. Just to upset. No, you. we'll do it. I have no interest. Right. In well, let me bring up the last topic for us uh, okay. to talk about today. And that is, and I know you have some opinions about this, but there's a couple of uh, bipartisan bills um, in the, in the, um, in the, the Congress right now, that's really aiming at trying to curb these anti-competitive practices that you know and love, and you've spoken quite a bit about, Stuart, with Apple, Google, Facebook, and Amazon, you know, being kind of a, a next product guy and, you know, kind of, I don't, I don't see myself as a representative of, of, the, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the technology uh, mavens that bring all this wonderful technology to the market, but I always get a bit nervous, and you and I have talked about this before. Is when Congress tries to get involved in helping, and they hurt out, they do, they end up hurting, frankly, or creating unintended consequences. So let's talk about that. Well, there, there are two bills, and and uh, John Oliver this past Sunday did a whole segment. It's it, his major segment of the show on this very topic, and and he's very insightful. I think he missed a couple of things, which I'll, I'll get into in a moment. Um, and obviously, there's a bipartisan 
um, effort to curb the practices of big tech. And we are talking about four or five companies, essentially. Both of the bills, and there is some overlap between them, um, are aimed at four or five companies. Apple, Google, Amazon, Facebook, and like the Vowels, sometimes Microsoft. Um, and all the rules, most of the, 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 uh, most of the things in the bills cover companies that have 50 million of this or 500 million of that, you know, so they're clearly targeted at those four or five companies. Um, as you mentioned, trusting Congress to understand this and also the, the, uh, unintended consequences really hard for me. Amy Klobuchar, who is the democratic sponsor, Chuck Grassley is the Republican sponsor of the bigger of the two bills. Uh, Amy Klobuchar does know what she's talking about. I'm not so sure about Grassley. Um, Klobuchar has even written a book about this. But a lot of these bills, a lot of the, the subject matter in the bills are based upon what the European Union has already done uh, and is being litigated. I've read through most of the both pieces of legislation, and a lot of it rests on one of the key provisions in both of them, this idea of, um, um, oh, I, I'm having a senior moment, um, self-recommendation. There's a, a, I, I'm, I'm, I've lost my topic. Oh, damn it. What's it right. called? Well, anyway, um, it's, it's the um, self-preferencing. Sorry, just bringing it up. Self-preferencing. The idea is that when you go on Amazon, for instance, and you look to say, I want to watch Casablanca, when Amazon lists the search results, it will put Amazon Prime at the top of that list. When you go to Google, when, which is something that John Oliver pointed out, and you put in a flight, say, San Francisco to Houston, it will show you Google flight information, right. completely yes. ignoring um, uh, 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 Expedia and Travelocity and Kayak. And, 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 you might, and you might want to explain why does it, why does, why does that happen? Because the search engine or the company behind it wants to get the revenue. Of course. I mean, yeah. I think that's fairly right. The companies want to earn revenue from the sales. Here's the problem. The problem is this also covers things like when you buy an iPhone, there is pre-installed software. And so you have a wide, ver and there is a huge move, no, uh, there's a, a huge bulk of people who believe that self pre I've lost my mind. <laughs> Self-referencing is not always a bad thing, that this is a regular business practice that often helps consumers, such as you buy an iPhone, it has some software already installed on it that work well with Apple's hardware and operating system. That makes perfect sense. Nobody protests about this. So the mm -hmm. question whether or not is whether these two bills are throwing the baby out with the bathwater instead of outlawing all self-preferencing, whether or not it needs to be a little more parsed by including what they call rule of reason which is to let the courts decide whether there is actual harm in the self-preferencing instead of outlawing all self-preferencing. For instance, the self-preferencing was wrong from a, a competitive point of view back in the day when Microsoft was, um, was pre-installing Explorer on new computers. And the courts determined that it was anti-competitive because Net, um, Netscape brought suit against them, essentially. And it was all part of that 
the uh, the mid 90s effort to break up Microsoft essentially. So there are some good instances of self um, preferencing and some bad instances. And these laws, as currently constituted, seem to include all self preferencing without any determination. The other well, thing I noticed, and just to jump in there, I mean, to me, harm would be an example of harm would be using your Casablanca example. If Amazon, you know, put uh, Casablanca on Amazon Prime as for rent, you know, let's say that wasn't part of the Prime package, you had to pay for the rental. If, if Amazon Prime is available to rent at nine, not $9.99 versus, oh, I could rent that on another platform for $4.99, to me, and, and because Amazon, in the search results that came out at the top, to me, that might be an evidence of harm. The consumer ended up paying a higher no, price. I, I totally agree with you. But the point is that these bills seem to consider all self-preferencing yes. by these big companies as bad. And right. I think an argument can be made that, again, you're painting with such a wide brush that you may be erasing some competitive um, uh, uh, advantages these companies have, and also erasing a lot of consumer benefits that do increase competition, quite frankly. Um, right. So I, I think Congress, I think that is the holdup. Um, there, there seems to be an insinuation that because of Schumer is the only one who can bring these up for votes, and there seem to be bipartisan support for them because he has two daughters who work for two of these companies. That somehow that that's keeping him from doing it. But I'm suspecting that the, that some of the details in these bills are a little too simplistic and don't really get into uh, nuance that is really going to be necessary. The other thing that I was a little disturbed by was that the remedies suggested seem to be all coming from the government, that only the FTC or the Justice Department could bring suit, not individuals. And I'm not sure I, I I'm sure they're doing it to restrict frivolous lawsuits. But again, this indicates that they haven't gone into a degree of nuance and laid out enough detail so as not to cause more harm than good by putting through bills that are necessary where this is concerned because the people writing them simply don't lack the knowledge are vague. Right. Well, I mean, but that's, this is always a danger, you know, when, when Congress gets into legislation like this, because to your point, I mean, I'm bothered by the Chuck Schumer piece that his, and oh God, I can't believe it. A, a politician being influenced by members of his family. Horrors. Boy, boy, boy I won't even go down that path, <laughs> but it, it happens unfortunately all the time shockingly, there's really no, I mean, a lot of that stuff is allowed, which is, which is part of the problem, but I just get a bit nervous when, you know, you see pieces of legislation, even if it's bipartisan that, that uh, implement or rec, you know, are put in place cookie cutter answers that lack nuance, you know, and because there are my, you know, th there's another flip side of this, just using that Casablanca example or, or flight information for, for that matter. At some point, there has to be the consumer has to be let the consumer beware type of approach here because at the end of the day, if a you know if, if a consumer has to take responsibility with, in that in that context, then I'm getting a, I'm, I'm, uh, there's a bunch of recommendations come uh, are coming whether I'm buying a plane ticket or get, recommending a movie, you know if that person is stupid enough to just oh I'm going to go out with, with the first recommendation which may have the highest price, well who, who's to blame? You know, does the consumer well, the problem, have? I, I think the problem. I think, I think the problem with that argument 
is that you're leaving it up to consumers to be smart. And I think most laws are designed, consumer laws are to protect consumers who don't know any better. I'll tell you, I'm, I got an email the other day and I'm trying to remember who it was from, but it looked, it looked real. And, and, and I'm very smart. I checked the email addresses to see where it's coming from. And this one was really, really good. And if I'm worried about whether or not this is a real email or not, and I finally determined it wasn't for other reasons, um, only because they wouldn't send such, the company wouldn't send such an email. I, I run across this all the time, my wife and my family. It, these people are insidious. So it's not a matter of simply you should know better. Sometimes you just can't know better. And there's a certain degree of trust when you see something, it's like I read it on the internet kind of thing, that you tend to trust it. So I think, again, that these laws need to have a certain amount of nuance. I mean, one of the things that John Oliver brought up was this thing called scraping. Yeah. So you do a search on Google for something. I want to search for a restaurant. And at the top of the results is some information about this particular restaurant. You, the consumer, don't know that that information might have come from Yelp because it's not credited. It simply appears on your screen in a text box. There's no way the consumer can know that that is not is or is not. They don't want to say it's coming from Yelp because Yelp don't make any money from that. And all of these. And so the only way that Yelp would make any money from you searching for information from them is to click on it and go to Yelp and be exposed to the ads that they have on their site. By Correct. Google scraping that information and putting it on their own set, they're not only making money for themselves, not only not crediting Yelp, but they're helping Yelp lose money which reduces competition. And, and so that would be harmful. But right and, now, and Yelp has no recourse. And that's a legitimate practice to go after, which, by the way, there's no laws against that. Hence no, the there's no laws against that. that. It's simply but a matter of point, you're big enough to make trouble. Yeah, but I just don't think consumers can wash their hands of responsibility. I mean, if again, getting back to that example, because it's, I think you could wrap your hands around the Casablanca example. If the search results came back with one recommendation, which was the highest price, got it. That seems really uh, devious. They're suppressing results that might lead uh, the consumer to a lower price on something. Got it. You know. But at the end of the day, the example you you cited with the email it sounded like a, a phishing deal. Yeah. I agree with you. I mean, these bad guys, you know, the the bad actors is like Rob Pegarero likes to which call could them. be Google and Apple and Amazon. But, the, but a lot of these emails, I mean, it looks so legitimately accurate. And I do the same thing because, you know, you've been around the block. You know, you know the way an email address is supposed to be structured. Ninety-nine times out of 100, if you see a weird character, if they spell Microsoft the wrong way or whatever. Just you know, check you know the they, actual email address. And I have to show my wife how to do that. Right, right. But a lot of people don't do it. And no, by the way. They don't know that they can. Right. And it's particularly insidious with older people. You know, my, my mother has been scammed several times where, oh, I got this email. Someone, and by the way, put my phone, I got a phone call. Uh, Microsoft called me on a robo call. It says, hey, by the way, if you don't accept this $29 charge, all your data is going to be wiped off your phone. Older people don't get it. You know, they don't have that level of sophistication. That, right. That's what I'm saying. Uh, that you have, younger users do. So I think we're talking at two different places. 
Your Casablanca example is a perfect instance where caveat emptor should certainly be exercised and can be exercised by the consumer. But the situation where yelping getting credit for information right. Google. So again, it's the rule of reason. Where is the is harm actually being perpetrated by one of these big companies instead of simply erasing both the Casablanca and the Yelp example all under the same rule of law rubric, which right. is what I'm saying is wrong with these laws is that they're throwing out the baby with the bathwater. They're not giving consumers. I'm obviously I can see that Casablanca cost me a dollar ninety nine, a four ninety nine from from Amazon, but only a dollar ninety nine from somebody else. I can do that myself. But I'm right. reading information on the Internet and I don't know where it's come from. And that's harming the, the places where that information is actually coming from or Amazon using third party data. Uh, Oliver pointed out this great thing, which is part of this law, is there was this bag maker called Peak Design, and they created this really cool camera bag. Well, it was very popular, and so Amazon knocked it off. And the the company, Peak Design, read this very snarky ad about how Amazon's version is really a piece of S, um, and we're doing all of this. And Amazon is arguing, oh, we didn't peek into their user data to find out that it's doing well, when obviously they did. And even Jeff Bezos admits that it happens. So, again, there's baby and there's bathwater. There's instances where there is clear harm and there's instances where the things that they're attempting to outlaw, you know, overall actually has some good aspects to it. So I think that these bills need to be nuanced in order to do what they're intended to do, which is to stop bad things from happening and allow good things to continue to happen under the same self-preferencing or whatever the other aspect is involved here. Well, we're out of time here. Um, I, I, I know that you'll, you, you're very passionate about these topics. Let's hope for some more balance you know, in our um, elected officials. Balance is not a word that you typically hear out of Washington. Or I know you no, I know you'll be following it closely, and I'm sure we'll tee this topic up again in the uh, near future. Uh, Stuart, thanks again for taking the time to join me for today's podcast. For our viewing and listening audience, thanks for making the Smart Tech Check podcast part of your day or commute. Please make sure that you hit the like and subscribe buttons at the end of today's podcast. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Mark Tech Guy. And until next time. Have a great week. And Stuart, thanks again for uh, the participating in today's podcast. Mm-hmm.